Welcome to the main event. If you guys love church, this event really churchy. So, and if you guys just want to watch for fun and, 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 and like check out like how your friends are doing, most of your friends might even be in there. Hello, I'm John J. Thompson, and on this episode of the True Tunes Podcast, I am excited to bring you a conversation with Phil Cook, an immensely and eclectically talented instrumentalist, songwriter, and producer. Cook has parlayed an early career with a critically acclaimed community of alternative artists into a surprising new season working with Roots Gospel Legends. In addition to playing keys with the Blind Boys of Alabama and producing and playing guitar on the new album by the Branchettes, a regionally known traditional gospel trio from Smithfield, North Carolina that is the subject of a new documentary film called Stay Prayed Up, Cook has launched his own gospel label, Spiritual Helpline. Phil Cook is one of those artists who seems genuinely willing to follow the music wherever it may lead him. Fortunately for all of us, it has led him somewhere very deep, and he was ready for the trip. As a kid, the sound led him to the piano, and later various stringed instruments and a jazz camp where he met and befriended other northern Wisconsin kids he still runs with today.
what does all of this hip, critically acclaimed, award-winning, alternative, and Americana indie rock have to do with North Carolina roots gospel? Well, that's where things get really interesting. We'll hear all about Phil Cook's fascinating musical journey, including how he fell in love with these sounds, found himself working with the Blind Boys, and recently launched a boutique Roots Gospel record label inspired by the music, ministry, and telephone of an 82-year-old singer, cook, and matriarch nestled deep in the Carolina Hills. The first time I met her, we were singing within 20 minutes of meeting each other all together, and she was teaching me parts. Anytime we're on a stage, no matter where we are, she will bring people to the altar. She will invite something out of people. She's taught me how to follow her. I love him. He can sing, and he, he falls in line with the rest of the children. And later, when we crank up the True Tunes jukebox, we'll listen to some of the music from that recent documentary film, Stay Prayed Up, which tells the soul-stirring story of Mother Lena May Perry, her 50-year-running gospel group, The Branchettes, the heritage of North Carolina gospel music captured in the film, and the unlikely story of Cook's new label. I will trust in the It all happens right after we take care of a little bit of housekeeping. Hi, I'm Bill Keith, and I'm a Patreon backer of True Tune. The show is really important to me, and I know that the money I contribute each month goes a long way toward helping with the costs associated with producing and distributing a show of this caliber. And yes, the rewards are cool too. We get early access to new episodes that we can download in a higher quality audio format, as well as invites to exclusive backers-only Zoom hangs and some special swag and stuff. There are multiple levels you can join at, and every gift helps. Check out patreon.com slash truetunes for more information on how to join me and the rest of the Patreon tribe. And thanks for considering a gift. It really will make a difference. Hello, my name's Rob, and I'm one of the Patreon backers of the True Tunes podcast. I'm honored to invite you to join me in support of True Tunes by signing up on their email list. I know email is often annoying, but by being on the list, I get notified when new episodes drop and when new articles get posted at truetunes.com. Sometimes, John even sends out short notes and gives away records and swag and stuff. Super cool. But really, the point is that by staying directly connected, I know that they don't have to pay Facebook or anyone else in order for me to hear from them. And that's important. 
They don't send out too many emails either, and I'm always happy to get them. So really, it would be helpful if you'd join me over here. You can find the sign-up link on the front page at truetunes.com. Oh, and don't forget to add John's email address, jjt at truetunes.com, to your contacts so that the emails don't get caught in your spam filter. And if you have any feedback on the show or questions, you can email him and he'll get back to you eventually. Thanks for listening. We're back with the True Tunes podcast. Cook is a musical chameleon and journeyman whose curiosity and craftsmanship have found him exploring nearly every facet of American music. From jazz, R&B, and country, to freak folk, modern rock, and blues, and even roots gospel, Phil's remarkable career path has touched them all. In the late 90s and into the early 2000s, Phil and his brother Brad, with lifelong friend Justin Vernon, helped launch critical Americana darlings DeYarmond Edison. After making a couple of acclaimed records in their original stomping grounds of Eau Claire, Wisconsin, the band moved south to Raleigh, North Carolina. So I get into Head on over to the corner to catch my feet. Doesn't take just too long to get to you. Enough for the sky to turn cherry red. As often happens in these explorations, philosophical differences led DeYarmond Edison to split up, amicably, with the Cook brothers transitioning into the acclaimed trio Megaphon. After surviving a very serious illness, began his solo journey back in Wisconsin under the creative moniker Bon Iver. You know it won't be Soon, 
Phil would eventually become a performing and recording presence with Bon Iver, as well as with a North Carolina indie artist named M.C. Taylor and his band, His Golden Messenger. Yes, you heard me right. Phil Cook has been with His Golden Messenger, Megaphone, and Bon Iver, as well as releasing his own impressive solo albums. If you go back and listen to our 20 albums of 2021 special from last year, you'll hear me rave about His Golden Messenger. And if you're a new Blitz and Trapper fan since my conversation with Eric Early a few episodes back, you're definitely going to want to go check out Megaphone. spoke, Phil Cook had recently returned home from a special set at the Newport Folk Festival, where he introduced an enthusiastic crowd to his spiritual hotline review, featuring none other than the 83 years young gospel legend, Mother Lena May Perry. For much more on his fascinating career, let's step into the True Tunes virtual interview suite and meet Phil Cook. Thank you for joining us on the True Tunes podcast, man. It's, it's an honor to talk to you. I love it. I'm so happy to be here. Where are we finding you today? Where are you right now? I'm now in Durham, where I've been living uh, since 2005. So I'm okay. just, uh, yep, yeah, I'm, I'm in Durham. It's been kind of raining all week here on and off. And that just kind of is part and parcel for late July, early August, you know. But you're from the upper Midwest, right? You're from the Wisconsin yeah area originally yeah see i'm from the chicago area originally yeah illinois we, we can act like this stuff doesn't bug us but it, inside we're crying a little bit every time we walk out and hit that 113 percent humidity <laughs> it's the same part of us that like is um that that is relieved that we uh got out of a place that is winter five for four months a year <laughs> <laughs> right yeah we both probably have guitars that are 
covered in checking and, and ruined oh. finishes from having played in a club that was 90 degrees and humid and then walked back to our car when it's 15 degrees and in an ice storm oh my god you know and <laughs> it's funny you know because i have all these ties to minneapolis and upper wisconsin i i'll bring my band um from north carolina and the band is entirely made up of North Carolinians, save the drummer who's from Minneapolis, uh, JT, and going up and having some shows in Minneapolis in like the beginning of February and having like my guys from here walking outside from Loading Eye Club and being like, I can't <laughs> wrap my mind around both of you doing this for years in like winter in like this condition. Like they, they couldn't even picture it. And I was like, yeah, we're tough, man. For fear the hearts of men are failing. For these are latter days we know. The great depression now is spreading. God's word declared it would be so. This uh, project that you've just done, you've got a film, you've got this album. Uh, I want to talk about that, but I'd like to start first by hearing a little bit more about your background and kind of how you get to this. Tell me about your musical roots, because there's little hints of it even in the film, but you're not give, it's not really, the film's not about you, and, and they do a good job of kind of pushing you into the background, almost leaving it like, well, who is that guy, and, and what why are we seeing this white guy uh, you know <laughs> up on the stage kind of so tell me about your your background coming up and how music comes into your life and and uh, how how you kind of got started on this journey I grew up in in uh, northern Wisconsin in a town of about 13,000 people one high school um, and one Catholic high school kind of a town and um, I grew up in a really close family, a really big family, and um, you know we just storytellers. We laugh really hard, you know, um, and we go hard in the paint. And, and so I, I, you know, was a drifty kid, and I was my mouth was open most of the time, like just my mouth, my jaw was slack for like the first ten years of my life. And you know, I I took in the world um, was like really old, like big and overwhelming for me. And, and at some point in my really early days, you know, like four or five years old, even earlier, um, I went to this instrument that was in my living room, this piano, and I knew it was a safe place for me to sit down because I saw my dad sit down at it and have a relationship with the piano that that was um, really beautiful and pure and like a friendship. He had a, you know, my dad has had a friendship with music. It's music's been a friend to him his whole life. And although he never joined band or I never, never like really recorded or got into the whole thing, you know, played some shows, he always had that relationship with music and with piano. So he would play things by ear all the time. So I just kind of did what the language and culture of my house was, which was just to sit down and figure out you know, Popeye the Sailor Man, Star Wars, whatever, I'll just be plunking out things. And so that relationship kind of like really grew and in, 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 in was a way for me to kind of filter the world that was overwhelming for me. And by the time I got to, 
I think seventh grade was when um, my dad's record collection really came into my life. Uh, in an active way, I participated and engaged with this record collection that was really extensive um, LP collection. And it had ran the gamut from, you know, everything. I mean, he was at the March on Washington and, you know, he saw everybody and he was, you know, fully immersed in counterculture. So all of that was represented, but everything that came with that um, alongside that would be, you know, there was so much Motown, there was so much stacks. And, and as, a, as a Midwesterner, I would also ski uh, with my mom or with my dad and my brother. That was like how we did our, that's how we did winter. And, and winter being four or five months a year, my dad was a ski patroller and a nurse by trade. When we would drive to uh, Ski Hill in uh, Wabasha, where Grumpy Old Men was filmed, Minnesota, every Wednesday in the, in the winter. And my dad would make this uh, mixtape, um, vinyl the cassette mixtape every year. He would call Ski Tape, Ski Tape 90, Ski Tape 91, Ski Tape 92. He would take a whole day off of work before the ski trip started. And he would make this really well curated tape. And that would be the thing that would stay in the minivan. And that was just like, try, like Otis Redding, like in the Neville Brothers and Small Faces and all this stuff. I just got immersed in all of this. Remember, baby, we had a big fight. And we ended our romance at night. In April, she walked out the door. And he said, it's all going to an the friend. So by the time I hit seventh grade, what I'm trying to say is that the piano met with my dad's record collection in this way that I just like took off and I just started like actually putting my hands to the piano of what I was hearing on these things. And in that sense, I, I, I you know, um, I developed a love of harmony at an early age and like how chords would shift and color would shift with chords. And, you know, when I listened to, I remember being really into this like James Taylor live record and he always has great band, like great musicians playing with them. Obviously like, you know, Walking down country road, like it's just got right. white dude singing some shit, and you know, I, <laughs> right. and uh, but at the same time, you know, he was a sponge, and so I would take in this harmony, and he was definitely somebody who um, had so much harmony in his music, great chords, and that was where I really remember hearing like songs like. Um, traffic jam and um, everybody has the blues and steamroller and I remember just like starting to put together some of these other kinds of chords that started to lean me towards what eventually would be like my ultimate exploration of harmony which is gospel harmony um, which is like a quintessentially American harmony when I listen to it and I mm -hmm. think about it the way the chords shift and it, and it really informs like Motown, you know, ain't no mountain high enough and all these other kinds of things where it's just like that is that is absolutely harmony that comes from the church and how um, things resolve and how voices lead to one another. So it starts with harmony for me. And then that extends into into choir arrangements and like voice harmony and how that all works together. And nothing rang my bell harder than those chords. And so when I started following that, that was a that was really um yeah, I mean, I just, I just, you know, you find your thread and you just start following it, and that was it right. for me. 
all your endings are gonna figure out the same Board your window, lock your door Shit's about to hit the fan, so you better hit the floor Tie those loose ends, lace your bed Ain't no way you're ever gonna settle all your debt Rolling thunder, burning head Ain't you singing that Dixie I but you're falling down the way Your 2015 album, Southland Mission, seems kind of like your tribute to the jukebox in a lot of ways, like your dad's records and your skills and your chops, which are considerable by that point. Tell me about the the relationships that kind of sparked your ability to, to not just end up in a cover band or uh, doing the solo singer-songwriter thing where you kind of can end up in a certain kind of rut, but, but with people that are going to push you and challenge you to experiment and mm. uh, do that stuff because you, you found a pretty cool community of people yourself to, mm. to experiment with yeah yeah it's it's a blessing it's just like the proximity of just who you happen to be next to and who your neighbors end up being um right. and like i said it's a town of thirteen thousand people you know when i was like a kid who was really into like i was into dizzy gillespie and miles davis and like charlie Musselwhite and all this stuff when i was in seventh eighth grade and i was alone like i had no right. community in my town for what i loved. everyone else was listening to country and hip-hop whatever was on the two big radio stations is just like the received mode and I was in this exploration mode and so um, to find community even starting with one person with somebody who wants to go back who wants to is just like oh you're this is your life and passion now it's mine too and just the the be able to have that immediate spark of like oh thank god I'm not alone and that to me happened at Shell Lake Jazz Camp when I was 15 and I went up there and I um, I met all these people that ended up becoming all my best friends still to this day. And they're all still the same people I just saw at Newport this last weekend are connected to it, you know. Um, and, and so that ended up being this crew of people from Eau Claire, 18 miles away from where I lived. And I ended up going over there all the time because it was, you know, the... It was people that just really, I, I found my community of people who just like were exploring and were just like trying to push themselves and like decided within the sphere of jazz, you accept this um, track of just like commitment to like mastery and wanting to like master your instrument and what that means, you know, you know, like, you know, shedding like that, whatever that culture of shedding and like just really like hitting your instrument. And when that intersects with like, you know, your massive development time as an adolescent and all these like really impressionistic like like cornerstones are being formed, when some of those are just like some of those tenets are like improvisation and like harmony and you know and like artistic expression collective expression um that you find in jazz like even though i I'm definitely would consider myself like a, a failed jazz musician i those tenants are still are so rock solid under me like i never want to do the same thing twice and i love that jazz gave me that and, and that i love that i grew up in um in this wintry place where you either get a, a, ha a hobby or you get a habit you know when you're mm. when, you know in, in that way so like you find you have to find a way to deal with the winter so whether it's outside and skiing or inside and just shedding on your instrument that was a great time that these midwestern wintry kids are just like 
inside with their instruments and like and then the world is still wide open for them so um that like you know so so justin for me was somebody who i um you know i immediately like even when we were 15 just like the first time i heard him sing i'm like how does how does somebody who's 15 have this voice like how do you have this voice when you're 15 and i think like learning how to sing with him um, learn, learning, like, you know, loving harmony, learning how to sing harmony with him. And like, it's still, he's still my favorite person to sing with. I know exactly what to do when I sing with Justin because we just spent so much time as, as kids, like listening to all this stuff and just what we loved. And the other piece that I think is important to mention too, is just like the courage to be vulnerable at that really, really critical, vulnerable age where, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's really not normal. And I also feel very blessed to have just like found a crew of people who, you know, we would go deep into the Indigo Girls and we'd go into all these other spaces that had, you know, these like real, really centering on female forward, like, um, like perspectives and worldviews and learning harmony through those things and just like, like fully falling and surrendering into that mind space. How do you go from hip jazz alternative to North Carolina gospel music? Tell me about that progression. That that is a, a, a left turn. I found the Staple Singers when I was in um, maybe late. I knew who the Staple Singers were, but like I found like the VJ recordings when I was a freshman in college. You know, so now, how old are you, real quick? Fan, I'm 42 right now. I'm 42. I'll be 43 this year. Um, and that that finding the staple singers was. I mean, I'm wearing my staple shirt right now. You know what I mean? I, but but like that's um, that to me that to me hit that hit an intersection of so many things. It was just like it it, it you know it had all of the harmony it had all of the twang it had the family thing it had the community thing it had mavis's voice but it also had pops's voice and then this unspoken like you know um piece at the center which is like you know their mom osceola and how much she was just like sort of silently behind the whole thing as far as like why the world got the staple singers and their intersection with dr king and with all these other moments in american history and my chance to meet the Reverend Jesse Jackson when he ran for president in 1988 and he met me and he picked me up and he held me in his arms and I grew up in such an isolated an isolated place John that like the Reverend Jesse Jackson was the first African American I saw in real life I was eight years old that's where I grew up and and the fact that like I felt the warm embrace of this really gentle man and then I then I started seeing this guy's face everywhere and you know he was on the the Rain Motel balcony he held Martin Luther King when he took his last breaths he's like right there at the Rainbow Coalition he's at the Watt Stacks he's like all over and 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 I and he has the same birthday as me and I kept having these intersections with Jesse Jackson and then I kept seeing him with, with the staple singers in Chicago and the Chicago connection. And it really kind of engaged me in more than a musical way. And so um, when I, you know, that, I, you know, I, I love that harmony um, so much that Pops uh, put into his family. So that combined with Aretha's Make Amazing Grace record 
both of those records, uh, both all that music to me um, became like it still is. I listened to Amazing Grace yesterday when I mowed the lawn again. The whole the whole entire like box set, yeah. um, and um, I come back to it all the time. There's something that's also true about growing up in an isolated place is that the world seems so far away. But the whole world is far away. Yeah. Like it's, I grew up, it's, you know, in the film you talk about sister act being some sort of a point for you. For me, it was blues brothers, you know? So 10 years earlier, I was watching blues brothers being from Chicago. You know, now I grew up in the central Illinois country area. I had these radio headphones. I could dial the little thing and I could find music coming into my, directly into my headphones, you know, so I could find the talking heads and I could find these gospel services that came out of Chicago. I found gospel music that way. And then when the Blues Brothers came out and I saw that and I see this kind of campy thing with James Brown and I see like the way those guys were playful, but they were definitely honoring the connection between gospel music, soul music with Aretha, and the blues. And I was like, oh, this is the music I've been listening to on the radio since I was a kid with those headphones. And it kind of connected some dots. For you, it seems like Sister Act did that, kind of connecting some of that stuff too. And it's for those of us kids with headphones in the country, it's like we we just kind of find stuff and we don't necessarily know that it's not for us. Oh <laughs> you know, like that, that part in, in Oh Happy Day, the Edward Hawkins thing that like, you know, for just to get specific, it's just like. Yeah. yeah. Oh Happy Day, Oh Happy Day. That, like when I heard that, I was like, what is that chord? When Jesus walked. And that, like hearing, like the way that that underscores and landscapes behind like this you know like behind this like power of all these voices together you know i mean i I, it's just like the feeling of having your hair stand up on the back of your head and on the back of your neck and just be like you know like i just like why would that not draw you forward and compel you and even though it feels far away we talk about it it's like the world's only coming in through like you know here uh you know one one dimension in a way and Sometimes that makes, <clears throat> that made me feel after a while, like I was just experiencing the world in this sort of received way. Everything I listen to is from the South at some point in time. It's just like everything I'm listening to, New Orleans, you know, in Mississippi, in Memphis, and the Appalachian Mountains, and everything in Atlanta. And, 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 and at some point I'm just like, what if I just am there? What if I'm in a closer place to where that music is and not experiencing it from so far away? And that, you know, um, you know, that's a long journey from 2005 until meeting Mother Perry. But to me, it's very clear that, you know, divinely, I'm supposed to be in North Carolina eventually to meet this woman who um, would ultimately become somebody I call mom. 
and um, and I, how, how could I have known? But I definitely had some gut instinct that there was, you know, just like par the participation level that I was engaging in was, um, it was hard. And so even in North Carolina, I mean, it took so many years for me to actually like meet somebody uh, and engage within the community and start to build relationships in the gospel community. this opportunity actually back in Wisconsin where Justin won the Grammy for um, Best New Artist and he was asked by the Blind Boys of Alabama to produce their next record called I'll Find A Way and so he called me right away and said dude I just got this call from the Blind Boys you gotta come I'm like uh, I'm there you know I'm like fully there and I remember hearing um, Somebody's Gone they did a record uh, when they did Somebody's Gone uh, such an amazing song right I mean uh, it's also it doesn't belong it's like when you hear the lyrics it doesn't belong to I mean it belongs to everything it's put in this gospel camp and so I love them since seventh grade and I get to the studio you know and this is where my intersection of my midwestern upbringing my current living situation in North Carolina and then being back in my home and being in where I grew up in the middle of January with all these, you know, all these men that have like been traveling and touring the country since the 40s, you know, and in segregated hotels and this whole journey that they brought with them to this wintry place. And they intersect with this, you know, with with all these upper Midwest dudes that have all their, you know, the right, the stuff that we know how to, whatever, <laughs> like our, our, our sorrel right. boots and, right, and right, stuff. Right. All right. And uh, it was a profound experience for me and one in which I, I really credit the Blind Boys for creating a space for me and a really encouraging space that for me that they've held for me for this whole time um, since I mm -hmm. since I met them that week. Ricky McKinney pulled me aside and um, it was the first conversation I had with him. He just said, hey, who's the piano player that's playing right now? And and the engineer said, oh, it's this guy. He sat me down, shook, put my hand in his, it's like, it's me. And he just said, you listen to like the old, you know the old way of yeah. playing, and 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 I, I was like, I, I do, I, 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 you know what I mean? Because I had disqualified myself by being so isolated from participating in things. I just realized how many things I was up against and how many barriers I was just you know, feeling as a white man trying to intersect mm -hmm. with this music and participating and loving this music and wanting so badly to be able to engage with it. But here I found a, a friend, a really encouraging moment where like in that critical moment, he was like, you keep going, dude, you keep going. Oh, nice. We need yeah. this music and you right. love this music. I can tell by the way you play, like this is in your heart. You know, you got to keep going. And that moment changed my life. He didn't know what he did for that in that moment, but it was a moment where I just realized I can engage in relationships 
are how I move forward. And my relationship started with Ricky that day and, and just having a little bit of like, all right, I do, I want to lead with, lead with love, lead with my heart and lead with what, what this is and just bring myself fully to bear on these. And that's the best I can do for these people that I've, um, forged this whole career. That's the lesson I learned over and over again from my relationships in gospel music is to lead with my heart and how I feel and just bring myself, my authentic self to the table and just be comfortable with that and know that like, you know, it's okay. It just yeah. keep going. So I still uh -huh. get those encouraging conversations from Ricky and I've just got to do a Blind Boys record um, in Muscle Shoals a couple months ago. Um, and it ended up being Ben Moore's last, last recording because he died two weeks after that session. Um, and it was, you know, what a journey. And so, I mean, you know, after that Blind Boys record, like since from there to this year, I mean, I just went straight in. And I, I stopped buying any other kind of record but gospel music in it. That's, I mean, so really it just like, it, it like was a starter gun and I just went fully in. Yes, God is Go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Ray, and I'm a Patreon backer of the True Tunes podcast. I also follow and listen to the weekly Spotify gallery stage mixtape that John curates for us every week. And boy, is it eye-opening. Every week, usually on Wednesdays, the mix is updated around 40 songs from brand new releases to deep cuts and from across a wide range of genres, including rock, Americana, indie, gospel, blues, sacred music, soul, and more. I've discovered tons of new songs and artists and have been reminded of things I love from long ago. It's also great to hear a mix that blends up great music that is just good, beautiful, and true. You can find the mix on the front page at truetunes.com or on the show notes page for this episode. And if you follow it, it will live there in your Spotify browser and update automatically every week. And don't miss the massive archive list where all the previous lists get saved. It now features over 5,000 songs. And as great as Spotify is for music discovery, Please support the artists you love once you discover them. Thanks. Hey there. 
I'm Mark Feldbush from Columbus, Ohio. I'm a Patreon backer of the True Tunes podcast. I've also left a rating and review of the show at Apple Podcasts. It really wasn't that hard. It didn't cost me anything. But this show means a heck of a lot to me. And I know that reviews and ratings make a big difference when it comes to how and if others discover these conversations. Would you take a few minutes, maybe even while you're listening, if you're not driving, of course, to leave a rating and a review? Even if you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, the reviews posted there push out the podcast to platforms all around the world. Oh, and take some time to tell your friends about the show. Let's drive the numbers up together. Thanks. Welcome back to the True Tunes Podcast. We're going to step away from my conversation with Phil for just a few minutes and crank up the True Tunes jukebox, which suddenly has been invested with audio-visual powers, thanks to the producers of Stay Prayed Up, who have graciously allowed us to use clips from the film throughout the show, Bruce and I felt that a deeper dive into the music of the film and the live album that inspired it was warranted. So we've installed a projector on top, and I found a coin in the collection plate sitting here at the end of the pew. Let's drop that in and see what happens. centerpiece of this surprisingly engaging documentary, Stay Prayed Up, is a decidedly unfamous and unassuming gospel singer, cook, and matriarch named Lena May Perry, who everyone simply calls Mother Perry. So many people call her Ma May or Mother Perry because it's a part of her. I don't know of any that will go up to and call her Miss Perry. Uh-uh, mom got to come out because mother's what you feel. If I want to run, I'll run. If I want to sh- jump, I'll jump. Whatever the Lord say do. Now, I'm not a show-off when it come with dealing with God. He got to be in the midst, or I need to go somewhere and sit down. Filmmakers D.L. Anderson and Matt Durning used the occasion of Phil Cook's recording sessions with Perry, the only surviving original member of the Branchettes, to shed some light on the fascinating nature of regional, under-the-radar gospel music. Walk with me, Lord. Walk with me. Yes, I want Jesus. 
While her story is enormously engaging, it seems highly unlikely to be unique. One gets the feeling that the South was, and still is, populated with servants like her. Oh, look at the people. Oh, look at the people. Look at the people standing at the judgment, got to be tried. They were very powerful singers, those three ladies. Sister Ethel Elliott had the highest voice. The next voice down was Sister Lena Mae Perry. And the aunt, Sister Bennett, she had the lowest voice. And there was some beautiful three-part harmony. They were consistent in the song that they chose to sing which were the old hymns, and they would put their little twist on it, and you knew, okay, this is the Branch X. Oh, I can see my mother. Oh. As time moved on, Aunt May sort of drifted off from us, but Elsa and I kept singing. You know that Some fire get under your foot, you just can't sit still. You gonna holler, you're gonna jump, whatever comes forth, you do it. And it makes me feel all light. Just feel like I take wings and fly. While Perry and her group, the Branchettes, certainly made a significant impact in the Smithville, North Carolina area, and even managed to travel to Ireland to minister, their ministry was regional at best. They were certainly not famous, and doubtful ever made much in the way of income from their work. In fact, Mother Perry operated a beloved local eatery for many years, feeding the body and the soul. One of the previous chapters of Sister Perry's life, she owned a soul kitchen in Raleigh called May's Country Kitchen. I cooked real meals. Not no sandwiches. I would go down there every day. I don't care if I was working in Kerry. I would come back at 12 o'clock and eat at May's Kitchen. I had the little booths up and down the side of this wall. I had the little bars that I could walk around and talk to each one of them. You see all kinds of people there, all walks of life. Some of them half drunk, but they would be there, but... <laughs> I fed people. You don't know what they're dealing with. I taught their kind of language. Something that they needed to hear. No negative mess. She could handle a congregation of hundreds of people, all of us hungry at the same time, all of us going into the fellowship hall at the same time, you knew that Mother Perry had put her love and her professional touch to it. If you didn't come back for the preaching, you sure came back for the food. <laughs> Nobody told me that this road would be Believe. I don't 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 believe.
Anderson and Durning do a masterful job placing Perry's story in context with plentiful archival footage, generous supporting interviews, and a wonderful side story about the annual reunion sings that gather gospel quartets and singing groups from around the area for long church service celebration jams. A gospel choir anniversary is a celebration of another year that you have been steadfast, unmovable, doing the work of God. The attendance sheet will run from 12 to 15 groups each day. She had quartet, choirs, soloists. Oh my goodness, it was so many groups. We started it here, but the church was too small. I know she has traveled far because of the support that she gets at her anniversary. Some of those groups travel two hours and sing two, maybe three songs, but they traveled because they were going to be in the midst of something remarkable. Every group, every person don't have that ability to give the people a ministry that they want, a ministry that they need, and a ministry that they're going to hunger for. The filmmakers also work hard not to portray Cook as some kind of white savior riding in to rescue the poor old lady from obscurity or hardship. To their credit, they never unpack his full resume, reveal his credentials, or show him as anything other than an accomplished player and eager servant of the sounds. I approached Sister Perry at one point about, let's make a record together. Would you be willing to make a record with me? I love how she responded. That'd be fine. Once we decided it was a live record, we talked about a lot of things. What did you say? What did you plan? We talked about honoring the other branchettes, obviously. We talked about places and rooms she's been in in her life. Long Branch, Disciples of Christ. It really makes me feel good when I come up in this driveway. Because this is my stopping ground. We had a wonderful family. We had singing parents, singing family. 
My sister, my brother, and I, we made our own music. In the yard, back up in the corner somewhere, I would have a shoebox, and my sister had the foot tub. We laughed, we frolicked, we had a good time, but we knew what we had to do. At some points, we had to fill up a, a bun of tobacco the same day. And it was a certain way that that tobacco had to go on that stick, put it on that string, oh, could I do it. thought it was hard, but it wasn't. It was just part of life. My grandmother and my aunt were members here at Long Branch Church. They were elderly seniors that taught us so much. Three little kids knew what three-part harmony because we heard it so much. We knew that we were going to have to sing at church. They called us then the Bennett Three. We pops up, goes down there to the front of the church, and we would start singing. And they would be just, you know, clapping their hands and some singing along with us. And I heard, <laughs> I heard my grandma say, tear it all to pieces. It is clear that the star of this story is not a prodigious white hipster from the north, nor is it a wizened saint with a powerful alto. No, the star here is clearly the music and the power behind it. You can't hurry God, oh no, you just got to wait. You gotta trust him to give him time, no matter how long it takes. He's a God, you can't hurry. Stay Prayed Up is currently touring various film festivals and making special public screenings, but it is available on demand through Amazon, Apple, and other platforms for about five bucks. the only group by a long shot that have been doing this for that long. But the dedication is something that we honor. 
They're compelled. It's down to their heels. It's all through their body. It's so much bigger than them. They're not going to retire. That's not how it works. They will do this until they are no more. I highly recommend not only the film, but the live album, The Film Documents. The nine-song album captures not only the power of Mother Lena Mae Perry, but the wonderful piano and vocals of longtime accompanist Wilbur Tharp, who passed away shortly after this recording was captured. We was on a journey, we were singing at different churches. So we went to this church in Andrew, North Carolina, right down the road. Wilbur came up to play for this church. When he put them long fingers on that piano, I say, Elsa, that's the man. We'd be invited to oh, so many churches all over North Carolina. Saturday nights, Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, we were gone every weekend. The Reverend Kenny Nichols turns in a smoking rendition of Lay Down My Life as well. You don't believe that I'm, I've been And the band, known as the Guitar Heels, Brevin Hampton on drums, Michael Libramento on bass, James Anthony Wallace on organ, and Cook on guitar and backing vocals is unreal. They sound like they could have stepped out of a time machine set to 1970. Mother Perry is the only surviving member of the Branchettes, but her sisters would certainly be proud of what she has accomplished, not just with this album, but with her life so well lived. You can tell these songs are not being sung, they are flowing forth, and it is a blessing to hear. He was there all the time. Waiting patiently, waiting patiently. Michelle, waiting patiently. 
waiting patiently. He was waiting patiently. Waiting patiently. He was waiting patiently. Waiting patiently. Waiting patiently. Oh! Eli! Eli! He was there! He was there! He was there! Jukebox started doing that dance again, and a sprocket just rolled under the back pew. We're going to unplug her and let her cool off a bit. Don't go away. The True Tunes podcast will be right back after this. Hello, I'm Chris, and I'm a Patreon supporter of the True Tunes podcast, which has quickly become one of my favorite podcasts. I can always expect John's warm voice and insightful questions to draw out the stories, wisdom, and faith of beloved and new to me musical artists. After every episode, I'm always listening with fresh ears to favorite albums or visiting new albums for the first time. It's just like when I used to visit the old True Tune store in Wheaton, Illinois, but now I can visit every week with new episodes. True Tunes Patreon supporters support the show with monthly donations of $5, $10, or $20, which helps cover the cost of producing and hosting the show. As a thanks for our support, we get early access to episodes and high-quality, lossless WAV files of each episode that we can download. We also have occasional Zoom meetups, some special live streams, discounts on True Tunes swag, and more. You can join me and the other patrons by visiting patreon.com slash truetunes or finding the link on the show notes page if an ongoing patronage thing is not the right fit for you but you'd like to give us a tip to help with the costs associated with this show you can find links for that on the show notes page thanks and enjoy One new way you can support the show is by checking out our brand new merch store at Threadless. Just head to truetunes.threadless.com to find all kinds of cool t-shirts, sweatshirts, masks, coffee cups, posters, notebooks, including two brand new rainbow designs. When you order through this Threadless store, they make the products and ship them directly to you. So get some cool stuff and put some gas in our virtual tank at the same time. Thanks. Let's get back to my conversation with Phil Cook.
had you all alone for a long, long time. Say too much, say too much as always. Said it till the tear well up your eye. Well, I want you to understand that I want. We'll get your warm bed, honey, cause I long for you. Belong to you. down there in 2005 yes you became a part of the fabric there in north carolina and you've been a part of that community and listening and learning and absorbing before uh finding uh mother perry and this story and then this particular um, project and now a, a whole kind of new label and stuff has emerged so tell me about how this emerged as the thing that would become this album and this label and this film how did how did that thread happen Southland really was a result of that conversation with Ricky McKinney and going home in terms of just like my songwriting ideas that were coming to me it was just this I just like allowed a space enough for me to actually um, make what was to be my first real statement for myself that was just straight from here um, as a being in the music industry for 20 years already at that point in time and having my first child, that all coincided with making Southland Mission. And I ended up through the process of that record, just knowing that like, I, I can't be the one who, although I have multi-instrument, I'm a multi-instrumentalist, I could technically probably play and, and sing things that are there. Just to be able to collaborate with Tradition Bears is the first time that Southland really brought that in. So having like calling Andrew Marlin from Mandolin Orange and Bobby Britt from Town Mountain, these really kind of more bluegrass musicians that are really accomplished and having, you know, capability represented in the record that way in, in virtuosity. Um, but also having Tamisha Wade in who, you know, it's just like calling friends of mine and being like, I, I really want to know someone who you think would collaborate with someone like me. It has been my way to lead forward. Um, I want to find someone who can really sing. And then having the, the first name coming out of Chris Berner's mouth, like, oh, Tamisha Wade for sure. So, you know, and then having Tamisha show up and then we just, just singing together and how powerful of an act it is when you first meet somebody to sing with them, to engage in this collaborative, like surrender and where you get in tune with each other before you even mm -hmm. have real conversation to get in tune with each other. Like, you know, logistically, you get in tune with each other spiritually. And that is a really powerful communion that I've begun to trust a lot. Sing with somebody. Just right, like really allow that space to be something that you do. And as musicians, we're so lucky to have a method that cuts through right. so many other things. And so, you know, Southland taught me how to just ask other tradition bears to collaborate with me and bring their own authenticity, their own things and participate willingly with me. I participate with them and then we see what happens. And I've seen the, the Southland as a result of like, you know, a lot of collective expression because of a collective surrender and trust. I want nothing but a little, a bit of something off the griddle. I want a menu I consider sitting on the fence too long. I want to wind down, not a fiddle. I want to weigh out, not a riddle. I'm gonna die here in the middle, sitting on the fence too long. Well, I ain't trying to get it wrong. Ain't trying, ain't trying, ain't trying. I 
After Southland, I had to form an actual band that would play this stuff. So that involved also just finding musicians within the community and like and, and stretching without my from without the you know a lot, I mean Megaphone was like a way more of like a rock or a folk band and I, I was really well immersed in that scene by then. But really going into like you know other scenes like there's such a rich jazz there's such a rich R&B scene here because of North Carolina Central University. The level of musicianship in Durham is just absolutely like flabbergasting and it keeps unfolding it keeps unfolding i keep meeting musicians here that i'm just like i can't believe you live here too this is crazy and like so i love being the least talented person in a room it's such a it's such an important journey for me to just be surrounded by people with just great skill and craft and experience and have something to say and it just constantly is a mirror to me. And so you get to, you know, where I actually did the release show and I call Music Maker Relief Fund, who is in Hillsborough, North Carolina, Ritz Music Organization, you know, philanthropic, they really help um, to foster like dignity within an aging population who has been ignored by an exploitative, mm -hmm. exploitative and racist music industry. And, you know, doing their part to try and correct some wrongs. And I knew I could call that office and try and find somebody who they worked with who be willing to work with me and the first name they gave me was Lena Mae Perry and so I called her on the phone and she said well come on over to my house on Saturday get here at nine o'clock and I show up at her house on a Saturday in uh, 2015 and I meet Wilbur Tharp uh, her accompanist who comes in in the door and and again we're singing right away and she you know and and Wilbur's got the low she's got the lead and so they're like Phil you gotta sing high parts you gotta sing <laughs> ethel elliott's parts and i was like okay you know and uh you know so it's it, it, it yeah i mean just like starting by singing and then getting you know wilbur is like so welcoming and so lovely and then um and then performing with her and she you know and then when i performed with her at duke garden we all love music but we're all bringing our full selves to bear and that that involves just i, I love it it's like it's just deep in my appreciation, respect, my love for the traditions that are alive in this city, in this region. And then meeting Mother Perry and understanding like, even just two counties east of where I'm living right now, the cultural wealth that exists there, that is still very much alive, is, is just mind boggling to me. Like how much there is, how much there is. So this, this feeling, and then, and, and then Mother Perry invited me to her anniversary that year, which was her 46th, 43rd anniversary, 2016. Yeah. And she invites me to this, and then I meet her congregation that she grew, grew up with and all these other gospel groups that I see for the first time at Western Assembly Disciples of Christ in, in Johnson County, North Carolina. And, you know, and seeing these groups, these, these quartets that would get up, you know, and these family groups that would get up and be doing things. And like, for real, like being invited into that space is such an honor. And every year it still is. And I get a chance to just like, I'm the new guy. I'm like this grinning, like guy, you know, up there and, you know, and, and it's such a dear community and one that I just like, it really, Mother Perry, and that that's really when, when my life really began to change in a really big way and where I started to kind of like just really realize a future in which I could, how I could participate, starting to see some ways in which I, um, what I love and like finding people that I 
you know, that I just have, re- that we just find resonance within each other, you know, no matter if we're 40 years apart in age or not, you know what I mean? It just finding these resonances and just being like, you know, Mother Perry and I love Margaret Allison and the Angelic Gospel Singers. Love, that's like our favorite group. It has occurred to me over the last 20 years or so that there are some fundamental ways in which gospel music, especially roots gospel music, but really gospel music in general, is actually different. For one thing, it's an actual genre of music. It's not just a a version of something else. And it's the music from which rock and soul and hip-hop and disco and pop flowed. It's actually the source. And the source comes from community and struggle and uh, authenticity and, and like you said, harmony. It's that, That's the root of community. And so the, one of the primary things for me has been recognizing that gospel music is about participation. It's not about consumption. So how has this transformation from being an artist making music to being a part of this community where it's about live experiences and pulling people in how has that affected you the impact has been total i mean it it has been profound to say the least i am so honored and humbled in and um the act of being um invited and and trusted um to come and be present and to be able to just be a witness is something that um is a become clear to me but one of my jobs is as a human is to witness and um you know what i've really witnessed um in amongst just being able to just see the that participation how it reads how that love walks um instead of how it talks and and the participation also feels to me like presence. When you sing, you know, hearing all these encouraging words coming from people that love you and are there, take your time, go ahead. These are the things that are being, in, these are the things that are being spoken to somebody who's trying to find a balance by being open to the creator and then to be able to speak their truth that's happening right then and sing how you feel, how you feel right now, is, has um, has completely reoriented how I interact with music and play with music, how the power of music is you know, a recreation of our whole universe over again for us to understand and be able to just understand vibration and understand resonance and how this is just a microcosm of just like of like of everything and how you know um, beautiful it is to be shared in a moment where we are in this culture nowadays becoming more increasingly isolated into our own kind of like package of our preferences and you know the act of participation collaboration the act of surrender is quintessential to being in the moment and to being present. There has to be a surrender to be present. And so while I, I've, you know, realized by interacting, you know, with these tradition bearers like Mother Perry and her community is that like the best thing I can do is just show up as myself 
and be present and lead with love, lead with respect. And the act has really humbled me over and over again. family who's really close and just seeing like uh, and, you know just just like feeling that like j just feeling that that connection and um with just my own love of just telling stories sharing meals and you know and and and, and, and laughter and, and and how powerful it is and Wilbur used to say a lot you know because Wilbur was somebody who laughed so often and he had the biggest laugh and, and you know sometimes he would get done laughing um and you know, and some he would just kind of you know like wipe a laughter tear out of his eye and be like ah. Sometimes he just got to laugh to keep him crying. And he would say something, mm -hmm. and and it would be, I would it, you know after a moment like that, there's just that. And when I say witness, one one more thing, real quick, John is like you know, making the film. We had to go into this small church that Mother Perry grew up in, Long Branch Disciples of Christ Church in Newton Grove, North Carolina. There's so much history in this room. It's very small. And, you know, showing up the first day, you know, the deacons who showed up, she's known since she was five. You know, she's 80 years old. So these are people that, like, they've known each other their whole entire lives. So to just know that history, those, mm -hmm. I mean, collectively hundreds of years of history between all these people in with each other. Um, you know, we had to move the pulpit. And in moving the pulpit to make room for um, the, you know, putting the things on stage, um, you know, I sort of wasn't proud. I was just, okay, we got to do this thing. But I, um, so as I was doing it, I had to unplug something. And it turned out that I was, I was like, wow, this is just something plugged in here. So I pull it out and it was to a little video Radio Shack, like video monitor that had a single camera pointed at the front of the doors of the church um, uh, at the parking lot facing highway 50 and that moment hit me like a ton of bricks because i realized post charleston this is the security system and the, and the and and the pastor who's up there that that that's that's those couple seconds heads up that video monitor right. is what is put in place after that and the act of moving that pulpit became suddenly one where i had to like really understand who i am where I am, what's happening right now, what is all of this, you know, because I'm like, I'm, we're making a live record right. energy to, whew, right. we have we have work to do. This is really, and you know, and like I, you know, and, and just having that reverence is like in, in that understanding and that empathy is quintessential at every moment. It comes along with the excitement. It has to have this balance to just be able to be there in a witness and just be like mm -hmm. this is real this is so 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 real in this moment that i just mm -hmm. something i don't have to think about or deal with that's the reality that hits you we are coming on highway 70 toward smithfield we saw the sign and we had heard 
people to talk about it. But it had three great big K's. K, K, K. With us being kids, we didn't really know what it meant. And we didn't talk about that. It was a sense of fear. There were some Klansmen in our community. Some families had told us they was afraid to go outside. Somebody said they're going to come to their house. We couldn't do that much about it. All we could do was pray. And so spiritual helpline records, is this this is an ongoing project? You're planning on doing yeah. future things with other artists and stuff that hopefully yeah. won't take as many years because we won't have the <laughs> pandemics slowing everything down? Uh, yeah, I mean, really, it just, I mean, I think just making the Branchettes record, I mean, I um, was just like, I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I'm doing, but I just, this seems like something that um, I'm going to, I would like to try with, with Mother Perry and she's willing to do it. And so, you know, got a grant from the North Carolina Ar- Arts Council for you know enough money to pay the musicians and the recording uh, engineer to mix it and everything um and then that was kind of the first step and then realizing well i gotta put this out myself uh i named the record label after her telephone because she's on the phone every day just ministering to people and i just think what well, oh, yeah. the spiritual helpline there it is people call that number her kids all joke that it's like this hotline you know like people are just calling you know and they're right. getting prayers mm-hmm. on the phone and um, and that's the work she puts in every single day at the, you know, when she gets down to it, she just, every day she puts in that work, um, mm-hmm. you know, the work she's working, she's working for a higher purpose and she's working for the Lord. And that is like the way she carries herself. That's her surrender every day. And that's her resolve. And, um, so <sighs> I, you know, I, I, it's, I want to do right by her, you know, and, and, and because, because of what she brings, she inspires that from anyone she meets is to just like walk a higher path, find your own higher path. And, you know, so I, you know, the pandemic made it kind of like, oh, I don't know what to do here. And I ended up doing these radio shows, these kind of live video shows where I was spinning gospel records, what I loved and going into my record collection. And it was a way for me to participate with the outside world, being quarantined and being a total extrovert and somebody really needs connection and, and talking. And um, that was really great because that put me in, I got to interview all these people from, uh, you know, it ended up becoming a really cool thing. And um, in the process of that, I made more relationships and more phone calls. Uh, we finished this film somehow during the whole process of, um, uh, of the pandemic and everything that's come afterwards has just been like, well, I don't know what the spiritual helpline fully is other than just like, um, it's a platform for relationships and music to just kind of like have a space to, um, to organically unfold, um, as, you know, as, as things emerge in my life. And I don't know what it's going to be. I mean, it went from being like putting out a live record to like releasing a film that like has saw national release and theatrical release and debuted at all these film festivals. And I'm like along for the ride and my feet are like hanging behind my back, you know, mm-hmm. man, I'm just like, mm-hmm. um, so I don't know where it's all headed, but I, um, you know, I definitely know that like the vehicle for spiritual helpline is just going to be coinciding with my work, which is music and relationships. That's my work. Mm-hmm. And and it can't grow any faster than that. It has to grow at the pace of the relationships 
So um, I'm understanding how that's unfolding every year. So I don't know what's coming next. I don't know, but I, but like every year something emerges. Just got to keep trusting. Got to keep surrendering. Ain't no need to worry what the night will bring. It'll be all over in the morning. Ain't no need to worry what the night is gonna bring. It'll be all over in the morning. In the morning. In the morning. It'll be all over in the morning. It'll be all over in the morning. And then you have a new solo piano record that just came out all these years that's lovely and the first notes of your record made me want to start writing a song so tell me just briefly about this project how does this thing fit into your uh, your journey piano is my number one it always has been since i was a kid you know and when i took you know and piano really um was a lamp under my path of adolescence and the confusion of adolescence, puberty, middle school, all of that, the piano pulled me through all of that stuff. And it really actually liberated me. Um, my life after that was, you know, really up until I was 20, it was like just only piano pretty much. And then I just couldn't let it be just that. So the guitar, the harmonica, like the dobro, the banjo, like the organ, all these other things started coming in and I just spent basically from 20 um, all the way up until I joined Hiss, really like in this other space where I was, all these other textures, these other dialects, these other languages that come with instruments and traditions and like um, being able to have a goal at any point in time for me on any instrument is just to play what I hear mm-hmm. and be able to get my hands, my heart, in my head in tune and to just play what I hear as it emerges and just being able to like what comes in and uh, and so you know these other instruments have like it's like spinning a prism on its side and looking at it from a different angle and like you know I'm still going for the same still singing something in my head Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to play it but like to approximate that on a banjo or a piano versus a dobro and the nuance you can get with all the microtones and a harmonica how you can bend it and make it more like the voice because all we're trying all I'm trying to do is sing I just hear singing you know and so when I, I hear singing in my head it's in my heart and so that's all that's coming out is an approximation of that on the instrument and when I get to the pandemic and everything shuts down and I'm home with my two sons and I'm home with my wife and we're doing school from home and all of these other constraints set in where like I'm sharing a small house with three other people and two dogs and I can't be making this amount of noise out. So what quickly emerged out of that was that, okay, hold on. 
outside of my kids waking hours, what can I do to like, I, I have, there's, if I don't let it out, I get, it's just like, I get all jumbled up and I, and I get cranky and all these things. I've just learned like, Phil, go, go play something, get it out. You have to, you have to. And so I, you know, it just became, you know, waking up at 6am with, uh, with a keyboard and headphones and having a very private 2020 to 2021. Very private musical journey. No, my family didn't know at all what was going on, but from 6 a.m. until my kids woke up, I was just meditating on the piano. And it became something where I was just like, just a need for that daily reconnection and just like presence. Don't get it, you know, don't let it, like I, I gotta show up for these kids. I gotta show up for them right now and I'm scared, witless. You know, about this virus and all these other things. So how do I balance this out? I have to thread each day through a meditation and I just would do it at the piano and it would just be a, you know, a commitment. I just recommitted myself to the piano at age 40 because Bruce Hornsby to told me, who my childhood hero, told me when I was, when I had a session with him, he's like, oh yeah, Harbor Lights, that's when you met me. I'm like, yeah, I met you in 92, dude, Harbor Lights tour, you know, and I was like 13 and I was just like, hey, Mr. Hornsby. And, um, you know, and he wrote, you know, he was so generous with me. And in years later, he tells me. Uh, when I'm on a session with him and we're just meeting as kind of peers, you know, in, in a way. Uh, and he's like, oh yeah. It's like, that was the year, you know, when I turned 40, I took that year off and rededicated my, to relearning the piano. And so Harbor Lights is the first record that, you know, I was just developing this, my own exercises. I was just finding where my holes were, where I knew I was and how I could fill them, how I could grow my musicianship, kind of start over. And I was just like 40. I was like 37 at the time. I'm like, I'm gonna do that when I'm 40. Something about that, I knew it. So I came home and when I knew I was gonna be home that whole year already before the pandemic hit. I took the year off the road. I was already gonna do piano, pandemic hits. Boom. Uh, and I readjusted, get this keyboard. And then I started every day, just eyes closed practicing, not looking at my hands, everything by feel, everything just leading with feel and leading with just like the, knowing the keyboard more intimately than I ever have before. And um, and when I get to like a certain point that it, then I just would start to improvise and play whatever came to my head um, and whatever, whatever I would hear. And I did that every day, you know? And so, and it was in early dawn, you know, such a quiet moment of the day, such a sol there's so much solitude. So when you hear, I hear it's such a personal, right? It's so personal to me. It's the most personal work I've ever put out, you know? And there was a part of me that's like, are you really gonna put out a solo piano record right now? <laughs> you know, for all these people that are just like waiting for you to play slide guitar or like have, you know, do like a make a joyful noise. Yeah, I'm gonna put that out because people that know me and have known me my whole life, you know, like people I met at jazz camp, all the way to my parents, my grandparents who are looking down from above, were all said the same thing. It's about damn time you put out a piano record. Because that's how they all see me. They all see me that way. That's such a part of how they see me and what, you know, where my expression lies. And I just tapped into it again. And it got me through yet another time in my life that had all this tumultuous like navigation. And it just pulled me through again. And the results are a space in which I, um, has been the most sacred space for me, really the center of it for me, you know? Yeah.
<laughs> man, thank you so much. This has been a joy and I uh, uh, really appreciate it. Are you still playing with Hiss? Are you still playing with any of those other artists or are you kind of- I've stepped away from really being on the road. So, um, okay. you know, I have a couple of things here and there, but I mean, that was, I think a big thing I needed. You know, my kids are just growing so fast. I just wanted yeah. to have yeah. more time with them while I, while I have yeah. them. So yeah, so I'm not playing with like anyone in particular right now and focusing on the label and the piano thing is something right. I can really do here. So, um, yeah, that's fantastic. So, yeah. Well, thank you, man. Thanks, John. Thanks so much, Phil. And thank you, D.L. Anderson and Matt Durning for making such a wonderful film, and to our good friend Lori Heiselman of Doxology Films and Andy Peterson for hooking all of this up. As I pull up my soapbox, a few things are landing pretty hard with me. First, there is Mother Perry's phone that spiritual helpline. Even though I have not yet spoken to her, I have been the blessed recipient of spiritual help over various wires, signals, voices, songs, and conversations that have graced my journey. I started thinking of songs and records and crises and the various mothers who have offered holy truth, grace, and love to me in hard times. Those reflections led me to contemplate one of the central elements of gospel music, one of its superpowers maybe, that continues to speak into my life and may, if you allow it, speak into yours. Gospel music is, at its core, not a product. For me, as a young kid, my spiritual helpline came in the form of those Radio Shack headphones strapped to my head. The sound of Reverend Clay Evans and countless unknown gospel singers traveled via AM radio from downtown Chicago to a ramshackle sharecropped farm outside of Peoria and into my eight-year-old ears. In the darkest, coldest nights, there was something warming about those songs and those voices. But as powerful as that music was, and later the gospel rock I discovered, or the challenging folk music that inspired me and opened my mind, it was never quite enough. I needed people. I loved those headphones, and I still love listening to great music on a great set of cans. But at its best, music placed inside me a hunger to connect with other people on this journey. My spiritual helpline arrived via phone calls with my grandparents, my parents, my pastors and friends, or across the table from people with wisdom and compassion to share during hard times. The mothering heart of God found me in my darkest days because I had learned to listen for those voices, and now I treasure them more than ever. As Phil and I spoke, it became obvious to me that he has achieved the kind of creative integration, a kind of holistic, artistic integrity that many artists seek, but never find as they pursue commercial success. You can hear the spirit at work, a sort of common denominator in all of his work, maybe even especially in the instrumental piano project he just released. 
And it makes perfect sense to me that his pursuit of the good, the true, and the beautiful, and his longing to serve the world with his talents, his gifting, and his opportunities would lead him to the source, the fountainhead, which is gospel music. It's also telling that the artists with which he has found and formed community, people like Justin Vernon of Bon Iver and M.C. Taylor of His Golden Messenger, carry that same spiritual aroma in their work. When we think of music as a product, a piece of merchandise, then it is inevitable that we will start to imagine which of those products match our desires. We are the consumer, and the artists are the producers. We browse and shop and collect and consume, usually from a distance. Even concerts, as amazing as some have been, are about what's happening on stage. We are spectators. We are there to observe. Gospel music, at its core, is different. It's there to be experienced, not merely consumed. We are the choir. We are there to sing. It's the proclaimed story of deliverance sung by people still in chains. It's the sound of a community, a fellowship of hope, not spectators, but fellow producers. Mother Perry served up a feast, be it through the songs she led at church, the food she prepared at her diner or in her home kitchen, or the sacred conversations she hosts on that precious telephone. She is there not to be served, but to serve. And there she sits, at her table, on her porch, or in front of her congregation in her Sunday best, inviting us to join in the experience to taste and see and sing along. Oh, good morning, Vanessa. I was just checking on you to see how you were doing and see if you're feeling good this, this morning. I'll give you a call a little bit later. Okay, bye-bye. God will take care of you through every day along the way. So many people call Sister Linda May Perry to pray for them as though she was a minister. But then again, too, she knows how to pray. Every time I've been sick and out of the hospital, she was there. We'll take care of you through every day along the way. Hello? I'm doing great. How are you? I so appreciate the producers of Stay Prayed Up and their concern that their film would not inadvertently portray Phil Cook as an authority on the unique sound of North Carolina gospel or of the African-American experience in the American South or as a great savior of this beautifully obscure story. No, it's clear that Mr. Cook did not save this music. The music, more accurately, the spirit at work in it, saved him. And that is something I can relate to on a profound, visceral level. Okay, I'm climbing off my soapbox now. That's 
that's going to do it for this episode of the True Tunes Podcast. Again, thanks so much to Phil Cook and to the producers of Stay Prayed Up. You can find the film on demand now, and I highly recommend that you do. You can also find more information about albums by the Branchettes and more at spiritualhelpline.com. You can keep up with Phil's music at philcookmusic.com as well. And welcome to the new members of our Patreon community. Lori, Richard, Kevin, Steve, Mike, Brad, Margaret, Jeff, Matt Schoenfeld, Tim Dillinger, Matt Stannis, and Andy Greenier all joined at the Patron Saint level. That's $20 a month, which is just amazing and so appreciated. But we deeply appreciate every one of you for giving and helping us do this. If you'd like to join us, just head over to patreon.com slash truetunes and check it out. And all the other stuff helps too. The email list, the weekly Spotify list, the reviews and ratings at Apple and the other podcast platforms, and telling your friends about the show. We need it all. If you'd like to order some of the new True Tunes swag, that would be great too. This podcast was written and produced by me, JJT, with co-production and editing and sound design by Bruce A. Brown for Gyroscope Productions. The contents of the program are protected by U.S. copyright law and are the intellectual property of Gyroscope Productions, with the exception of songs or clips that are from previously copywritten materials. Everything on this episode is used by permission or under fair use provisions. Thoughts and opinions of our guests do not represent the positions of the producers or our sponsors. Discernment is recommended. The program is intended for the private use of our listening audience. Gyroscope Productions can be reached at JJT at TrueTunes.com or P.O. Box 60401, Nashville, Tennessee, 37206. Until next time, this is JJT reminding you to keep your hand to the plow, your eyes to the skies, and your hearts open. There's some beautiful music being sung up above your head. Make sure you listen for it and sing along. Peace. Thank you for all the we, for everyone that participated, for all of them that come out to do this first for the, the branch S. And I thank God for that. I know God is pleased. I know those other two branches are pleased. They're still carrying their legacy on. Don't come too far now to turn around. Continue to give us that strength that we need. All our families, we need you in a time just like this. All our friends, we need you too. And even our enemies. We all need you. Now, God bless us. We shall be blessed. Let the church say amen. Let the church.